0: you're listening to education experts with edx education education is evolving join heather welch from edx education chatting with teachers psychologists parents authors creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe this podcast series from edx education discusses home learning school readiness being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play.
1: Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education, and today I'm very excited to be in conversation with Dr. Hahn Baker, a psychologist and parenting expert. Dr. Ann focuses on helping parents and caregivers, teachers as well, raise confident, resilient and happy children. She's developed a bespoke toolkit, we're not talking hammer and nails, we're talking practical tools and strategies to help parents and caregivers tackle those challenging situations with children, support children who have a lot of worry or feeling anxious, anxiety, managing the use of technology and boosting children's confidence. Today we're chatting with Dr. Marianne about her research and assessment tool, Cognitive Development Questionnaire, which is being used internationally around the world, play therapy, learning through play and so much more. Welcome doctor marianne Baker, we are so happy you could join us today. Can I ask you to introduce
2: yourself and tell us what you've been up to? Yeah, so I'm mary han I'm a psychologist and a parenting expert and I sort of help parents navigate the landscape of helping their children with development and managing those big emotions and I think I've sort of been up to doing a lot of work really to try and create more of the toolkits and probably more than anything is helping parents feel more confident and navigate various different milestones whether that's emotional development whether that's their cognitive development or their physical development all aspects of it it's just having the right tools and knowing how best to support their children
1: Which I think after the last twelve months we all really need that because I know it's been challenging for all parents and all caregivers. You know, I know with myself with home learning in and out with children of different age, multiple ages, and trying to get them to understand why their worlds have been turned upside down has caused a lot of angst and a little bit of, you know, just not quite sure of this their surroundings. I know my three year old has had some very big emotions. (laughs) let's put it that way let's talk research when you're completing your research there was an assessment tool called cognitive development questionnaire I've read a little bit about it and my understanding is that it allows an accurate assessment of cognitive development of children from 10 years to 24 months which caregivers and parents can do at the home can you let our listeners know why this tool is used and why it's so important
2: yeah, I'm so when I did my PhD, I was really interested in looking at the relationship between children's general cognitive development and aspects of that and their development and psychologically the way that we usually assess children, are these sort of assessment tools that a clinician, someone that is a psychologist would would administer in a very clinical setting. And my view was very much that actually children change their behavior When they're in these challenging situations, because they don't feel comfortable, you know, they've been taken to a very stark room in a really stark environment. They're these sort of scripted games that they're then assessed how they then perform against them. My view was actually, if you equip parents to be able to play these games and then observe what their child does, you're much more likely to get the better you can really assess genuinely where are they cognitively because you take the stress and the anxiety out of the environment and you get more of a natural behavior so I had been trained in a number of various different sort of psychological assessment tools and I just looked just flipped it on its head and just thought right well if a child has to do x at y or z to demonstrate they have abc skill how can we Teach that? How can we create a video or a game that allows to do that? So, at the basic level, you know, one of the ones that we look at in terms of understanding that objects exist in time and space are games that we play with our children all the time, like hiding things under muslin and getting children to pull the muslin away to discover something underneath and observing their surprised face. So, it was really That was really what I was trying to capitalise because my view has always been that when children are placed in an environment they feel comfortable, they always perform much, much better, put them in an assessment situation. And so what the tools now being used for the cognitive development questionnaire is that all adults, where psychological researchers are interested in child development and want some measure of where a child is cognitively, They can give that to the parent's sister at home and then do the research, only be done in a research lab. So they minimize any sort of distress for the child. So, yeah, that's what the, the CDQ is.
1: It's such an amazing thing because it is I know that with, you know, with my own children, when I've been teaching as well, that children do behave very differently in a classroom with many if they're sensory processing or if something is bothering them rather than if you did this at home. And so there are some barriers that you can't get through, I suppose, and it does actually make them anxious or stressed. But, you know, I also find that, you know, parents, caregivers, that we get caught up with development milestones. And there's something that I like you've referred to, which is chronological versus development age. I suppose, can you explain this to our listeners, to, you know, the difference
2: between the two? Now, I I think this is a really important distinction that we need to talk about. So I think it's a really important distinction, this idea of chronological and developmental age. And in my view, this sort of starts, you know, It even starts when you're pregnant. I remember reading books about pregnancy and saying, you know, you might be four months pregnant by now. You may have put on one or two pounds. You might be noticing tenderness. And I'd be like, I've put on half a stone and I'm not noticing that. But it's this sort of idea that when our babies are born, we tend to get fixated with books that talk about, you know, at three months, your child will be doing X, at four months, your child will be doing Y, and at six months, they'll be doing this. And actually, our children there is a very clear distinction. There is our child's chronological age, which is the age that they're given by birth. It's when they were born and that we celebrate these milestones in terms of six months, a year, two years, three years. But children have a developmental age and the developmental age is where are they in their journey on a particular aspect of their development. And children have Lots of these, they've got their communication, they've got their intellect, they've got their five motor, their gross motor, um, their social development, their emotional development. And with these, the developmental age is basically where is your child at on that journey? And I think it can be really difficult as a parent because we expect their developmental age to be the same as their chronological, and it isn't. Almost every child has some form of bumpy, spiky profile where You might have a four-year-old that emotionally responds as a five-year-old, but with their gross motor behaviour, might respond as a three-year-old developmentally. And this doesn't mean a child is delayed. It is simply that that's where they are on that particular journey. And I think it's really important that we remember this, and particularly when I'm in a lot of the work that I do around emotional development and supporting children with their emotional resilience is that quite often we can have a child where there's quite a significant gap in terms of their chronological age and their developmental age in terms of their emotions. And it doesn't mean that we've got an issue. It just simply means it's a it's a useful way of helping us understand where we might need to do some additional work, where we might need to give them some additional support, or where they might be on that journey rather than really getting caught up in comparisons and I think it is difficult but it is important to remember that distinction not all 12 year olds respond in the same way because they've all got different profiles so I think it's a really important distinction that we make and we talk about and we don't worry about.
1: Is this where you develop the toolkits for so you actually is this how you do the cognitive do you do the cognitive development questionnaire or some sort of similar similar questionnaire with your children and parents or caregivers or teachers you know depending on where you're working and this is where you get a chronological versus development age and so that the, you do allow parents to be able to see where they are within their skill sets and then build these um toolkits for children
2: yeah that's exactly what it is and it it's just working out what it is you know which where the gaps are and what areas you need to focus in on and that will be in the way that i do it certainly with within families is actually looking at the whole family makeup because quite often it's not just about how one child is where they are chronologically versus developmentally but how that profile fits around the whole family we all know that we've got children our children are to the same parent can be very vastly different in terms of how they respond (laughs) things so not only do we need to understand where each child is but how that interaction plays out yeah that's very true I mean I've got two little
1: boys and they couldn't be more different I'm sure you've got that with your own children as well and during homeschooling one of mine's language has developed really well my youngest my three-year-old but his his emotions have been really outbursts they've developed too in a different way whereas my oldest child was always very physical and didn't have these same emotional outbursts but lived in a very different lifestyle as well as you're saying looking at the whole family we were expats living in another country has a very different life where he was living so it's really interesting to see I suppose I wonder whether you're getting more of these larger outbursts like my youngest one and that's what we're dealing with at the moment after these uh, it's been an so I suppose an unprecedented year. It's an unusual year for all of our children.
2: Yeah, I think it has been. We've seen an awful lot around these emotional outbursts because children really thrive on an element of certainty and they thrive in terms of interacting and those social, mm. their sorts of social development has been massively disrupted, being able to go on play dates. They've not been able to go to groups in the same way. Um, and just interact with more people and we all know when we have those intense periods whether they're summer holidays or school holidays or just intense times when we're all together as a family the dynamics shift and it can be quite challenging you know being around other children and other family family constantly together really shifts things so I think for a lot of children there's been a real difficulty in terms of management because they've just had more of this confinement and less of this variety, less of this sort of difference. And I also think we can't underestimate the amount of stress and uncertainty that we as adults have gone through and trying to juggle a new way of thinking and adapting and and not having that distance and space from our children. (laughs) Whilst we love and adore, I've got two much older (laughs) children. (laughs) We love them. We love being them. But actually... Part of our recharge and our ability to be creative and exciting with them comes from spending time away from them too. And we've not had that. And that obviously will impact on our ability to be more spontaneous and just sort of respond to certain situations in a different way. So it has had an impact on everybody.
1: Absolutely I mean there's a big thing at the moment we're all talking about so a lot of people are talking about loss of academic and then they're looking at school readiness and what does that mean and you know the mental health and well-being of our children and the skills that we need to move forward after the year as you're mentioning it's been a lot of uncertainty what would be your suggestions for parents for teachers when they're looking at this well-being and mental health of a child rather than looking at loss of academic for our children for the next school year?
2: I think this is a really big one for me. I know that there's been a huge focus on loss of academics. I mean, my my personal view is when we have a happy, confident, comfortable child, the academics naturally fall in place. So for, for teachers and educators, my view is actually the more we focus on their social and emotional integration and their confidence, the more likely our children are going to be able to You know, slot back into school and excel academically. So, really focusing in on our time on just making sure that children can talk about their emotions, can connect with their peers. So, I think definitely for me, that's a really important aspect educationally is really creating an opportunity when they do go back to school or their childcare setting, just helping them unpick and unpack emotions, you know, what various different emotions there are how they may show up for that child either in their body and also in terms of their how might they respond in terms of their behavior but also what tools and strategies could we teach them to manage those emotions how might they seek actively support from their peers those are things i think great in terms of investing time educational perspective and I think the parent in terms of school readiness, I think it is about those independent skills. So the ability of your child to be away from you your, and that ability to know that you will always return. And it's helping them also talk about emotions and that it's OK to feel nervous, OK to feel slightly scared and, and not know what's happening next. And how might they be able to talk about that and use their voice Rather than necessarily being too concerned about the academics, because the academics genuinely catches up as long as you've got a happy and confident child. So I think that for me is the more we focus on their emotional resilience and helping them understand their emotions and build their toolkit, is a child that's equipped with all of those will academically fight
1: talk about toolkit you you're looking at things like being able to self-regulate or when they're anxious being able to stop and think about but giving them sort
2: of tips and and actually being able to recognize is this what you're looking at when you talk about toolkits yeah completely so you know let me give you an example of a one of the two might look at all about understanding their emotions so it would be when I feel dot 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 I may dot 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 I need dot, dot, dot. So what we're really trying to do with the, with this particular tool is helping our children understand and label their various emotions. So when I feel sad, for example, I may, how might I know that you were sad? As an individual observing you, what might I see in your facial expressions? What might I see in your behavior? What might you be Doing, what might you be saying? So, again, we're beginning to build that self awareness so they understand the emotion and the emotional label. They understand how it shows up for them. And the last need is that process of beginning to work out what their toolkit might be. So, when I feel sad, I may need a hug. Okay, that's great. But what happens if there isn't anyone available for a hug? What else might you do? So, I might need to go and read a book or I may go and get a cuddly toy. That's what I mean by the toolkit is beginning to help our children become aware of their emotions and then what they might need for themselves in order to help themselves. It's problem solving and creating almost like a toolkit that they can go much in the same way as you would have a toolkit to put a picture up, to drill a hole somewhere. You you go to and you use different tools on different occasions for different things We're trying to get our children to be able to build their own toolkit, so they can go to it at different occasions and pull out different things.
1: This is amazing. So, Dr. Mary, is it from, I suppose, from birth? These realistic, these toolkits can be used, or these strategies are used, and that's where you work from families, or is it from a certain age, like from 24 months? Maybe you say speaking age. You know, never know. My children didn't speak till they're sort of closer to three. But you know, is it that way where they can sort of start to communicate with you, or is it from birth?
2: Yeah, I think it's from birth. I think it's just how we respond. I mean, when we start looking at um, how we might respond to a child when they're very, very young, that helps begin that a, a- that idea about emotional regulation, because you know, emotional development, emotional awareness, and being able to self-regulate comes through observation. So our children are much more likely to do what they see than what we say. So if we're already modeling it, if we're talking about it, even before our children are able to verbally communicate with us, but we're demonstrating it and we're talking about it, even when we're changing their nappies. This is the beginning of that process. And I'm a really, you know, I work with families where things have become incredibly challenging because a child's mental health issues. And what I do know is that prevention is better than cure. So the more we focus our effort and our time around this emotional development, the more likely we are to offset and mitigate any issues that come later. So yeah, absolutely. From the, from birth. We can start putting some of these strategies in place. Clearly the problem solving ones where we get the children involved, they need to have a certain level of ability to communicate verbally, but we can begin that process pre-verbal when they're tiny.
1: So modeling the modeling good, I suppose it's to agree. It's modeling the behavior that we want them to, because they do copy whatever we do. I know in lockdown, if I've been caught, we were renovating a house, we were homeschooling, we were home learning, it sort of all sort of came to a big disaster and I was caught a few times, I think renovating and one of the walls fell down or something and I think something less than perfect came out of my mouth and my, at the time, two-and-a-half-year-old actually repeated it back and I was like, okay, we need to sort this one out, but it was, you know, you sort of get caught up in a moment or a time. And that's when you, you know, as adults, we need to self-regulate as well. And when you become parents, you are tested in so many different ways. And then the last 12 months we've all been tested, but I suppose the other one is that we hear a lot of terms like play therapy and it's something that you're learning through play and all these important things rather than academic loss. I suppose, do you want to have a chat about play therapy and how, what you use it for when, communicating with children
2: yeah I mean I I think I'm probably a bit of an inner child in a child that's never really grown up <laughs> um but I really I, I genuinely think that there is so much value in learning with pl- learning through play so I'm so please don't get me wrong I'm not anti-school but I certainly believe the longer our children are allowed to play within a formalized setting the better they will actually do because children learn through experimentation through manipulation of toys and things and even when i'm working with families where we've got really super anxious children i'm still creating toys and resources for them to use physically so play therapy is all about being able to connect and to communicate and for a child to learn through toys and through turn-taking and through role-play. So it's a, for me, it's the most important thing um, that we can do in terms of promoting good development across social development, intellectual development, and emotional development, all of these areas that can do through play. So it's really using our children's natural curiosity, their engagement with resources, their ability to use imaginative and creative play to tap into the world and use that as an opportunity to describe new and novel situations and what how might they play those things out, what might happen in certain role play situations, because children are much more likely to be able to communicate that way, particularly if you've got a child who's had a really tricky day, Maybe they've been to a nursery or a or at school and you're playing with some teddy bears, you're having a tea party or you're playing something. Children will often talk through challenges that they have through that scenario. So it can be such a powerful tool. And yet I think it's something that we do a lot when our children are preschoolers, but we forget the power of play once they start more formalized education. And we just assume that actually just sitting them down after they've done their letters or done their reading that they're then going to begin to up and actually children don't communicate or access their consciousness in that way. They do it much more when they're engaging in that toy, because quite often in those situations, you're parallel, you're side by side, you're engaging in something that acts between the two of you. So they're much more likely to be able to access what's going on for them and be able to communicate that m- so much more readily. And I would say, right up to, you know, don't be afraid, you know, teenagers can, can communicate and learn through play. This isn't, play therapy isn't about preschoolers. This isn't about early years. This is all the way up. So it's us being able to be creative and to not undervalue the importance of our time in engaging with play with our children when we want to help them, certainly emotionally and developmentally.
1: I think many people would find it hard with teenagers to get them to play again because we've got such an instantaneous life with all these you know they don't even wait for ads on tv we don't wait for anything these days you know you know even even toys if you can't get an amazon prime or you can't get so people don't generally like to wait but i think this is where sometimes you know something with say for example with lockdown it sort of slowed our lives down a little bit which allowed us to spend more time if we can i mean there's a lot of other factors too which were very stressful but to get children to play. And I found that with my older child, I went back to messy play and sensory play with him because I had the younger one as well. And I was trying to teach him something with maths and science. And I thought, actually, do you know what? You're not listening with a pen and paper. You're not interested in the screen. And we went out there and did a whole lot of messy play ideas with the little one, which he then he would just, you know, be playing with like these water beads, whereas with my oldest child would then be looking at the concepts of gravity, looking at all sorts of different things. And actually, he really loved it. And he loved the experiment side of it. So it was kind of like playing, but I could do both my children at once rather than having one in you know in front of a screen the whole time learning it without the visual and the sensory because he's a very kinesthetic learner he likes that feel see touch and do which most children do if they've got the chance and the little one was able to actually like multiple ages play along with him side by side which I think was a, a really big development for me because I found it quite hard to To do two different activities rather than doing one activity and swapping, doing it with the two different ages because there's such a big age gap between them. I think this is what many parents would find. It is hard to find something if you've got three or four kids, different ages, and that intrinsic motivation because children love to say, Oh, I'm bored. you know, when maybe they're not so bored, but you've got to find that. And I do get this a lot with, you know, when you're dealing with families with multiple ages.
2: Yeah, it can be really tricky, as you say, because you're you're managing different abilities to maybe wait and self-regulate and turn take and learn and access but the curriculum as such in terms of teaching is so often filled with replication so children will cover similar topics over and over again at various different years of their school edu- formalized school education but what happens is you just access things at a slightly deeper level so there is no no, you know as you did with the play children at various different levels will still access what they need at that time and we shouldn't be afraid of doing things like that so in a traditional board game necessarily feel when we've got various different ages that the young necessarily really get involved because they don't understand that maybe of counting on the you know counting with the, with the counters or being able to wait and take turns or the disappointment not winning but it's just about scaffolding what you might need to for the younger ones, and maybe having them play with you, so you do it together and helping them do what they can do, whilst allowing the older ones to kind of access the level that they need. So it can be really tricky, but there are ways of doing it. But I think you just need to be more conscious. I think when you've got when you're working with families, and you do have those various different ages. But I also want to touch on with teens, you know, quite often. You know, I do understand they they quite often want to be in their bedrooms. They quite often want to spend time on their own. And I think the mistake that we often make is trying to pull them into what we're doing rather than us trying to understand their world. So, you know, we can ask our children, you know, tell me, you know, show me how this Snapchat thing works. What do you do? You know, what activity you might be playing with or why that's particularly engaged program is we need to meet our children at their needs. Rather than trying to pull the teen, it's a bit of both. You know, yes, we want to get our teen to come down and watch a family movie with all of us or play a family board game, but it's also about you know, help me understand your world, show me how this works, why you spend so much time on that, and why you enjoy that television program. Meet them there, and then they're much more likely to engage and communicate with you in other things. So I think it's it's understanding when you've got. Big age differences, what can you do to scaffold the younger ones so that you can all still be together, but also when you've got much older children, how can you meet them where they're at so that you can create that connection as well? That's
1: such an important point as well because sometimes you're right. As parents, we sort of want to bring them into our world and what our experiences were as children which you know are very different we didn't have the internet when I grew up so you know the whole world is really different these days the way that children learn the way that they develop the way their brains work so listen I think an important thing is many parents and caregivers teachers we all are looking for different strategies I know you've got some amazing workshops online do you want to just have a chat about a few of the workshops that you have running at the moment?
2: Yeah I so I sort of have sort of shifted a lot of my work really to trying to really help parents feel more confident that they can help support their own children. So I have a series of digital online courses that parents can go through depending on what area they particularly feel that they need to bridge the gap. So these might be courses around managing anxiety or helping children manage those big emotions or it might be around confidence. So those are the digital resources, but we also have some physical products, the card decks, which are for not, I mean, I, even if I say so myself, I've been using my own made up laminated version of these card decks for about 15, 20 years. <laughs> I created them a long, long time ago, but we've now formalized them. So they look much more beautiful. <laughs> you don't have to have my laminated cast off. <laughs> um but those are really helping children understand about friendships conversation starters so that you can kind of begin to have those those chats with your children you know the policies of a happy family and mantras which are all to do with that internal dialogue that gets in the way of our children not trying something because they're too worried that they might fail or that it seems super scary so that's the sort of the toolkits as such that we've got uh for for families that they can kind of access those we're also now doing is trying to offer similar sort of approaches for schools that might sort of want some help around emotional development, really integrated within our school. How can we support children around managing friendships or all those sorts of aspects, you know, becoming more self aware? There's, you know, more recently a lot of discussion around this idea about children being able to use their voice around being able to create boundaries and say actually like it when you do that that doesn't make me feel great so it's helping on those sort of that sort of perspective so they're all sort of ongoing workshops and just they don't challenges that our children present whether they're at home or whether they're never seem to come at a convenient time (laughs) so it's just much easier to have these resources all the time. (laughs)
1: Now, how can listeners get in touch or even parent? how can parents, teachers get in touch with you for your workshops or advice, or even someone might be actually listening to this and think, actually, do you know what, that's something I need within bespoke, uh, you know, more of a bespoke toolkit for my child. I've tried other things. It's not working. But however, you know, maybe
2: this is the way forward. So how's the best way to get in touch with you, Dr. Marianne? It's the best way is just to head over to my website that's drmaryhan.com and in there there'll be a section on get help which is all of the online digital resources and physical products it's got access if you need to contact me about something more bespoke as well as the schools and obviously I've also got my podcast which you can listen to which is all on the website
1: too I'd have to say I've actually listened to your episodes on the podcast and it's called how not to screw up your Ch- your child or children amazing i love the ones when you have a give on each one and you talked about the glitter the glitter um what do you call it a glitter i have a glitter jar the glitter jar for managing the emotions for the for the little one and actually i have tried it with my my youngest child because he does have some big emotions but thank you so much for chatting with us today it's really interesting to hear about the cdq the development the cognitive versus development aid the sorry chronological versus development age you know things about school readiness play therapy We've got our virtual village. You've got, you know, um, learning through play and the emotional development through it. So I can't thank you enough for joining us today. And we look forward to, I look forward to listening to your podcast and catching up again. Thank you
2: so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you. So do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners.